The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. I'd like to ask that you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Tonight I'm going to uh, talk about the initiative that the elders have, that every member of this church have a pattern of ministry. Uh, Our desire as we moved away from the old polity or the old structure in this church is that we would uh, free up the church, the members of the church, to do the spiritual gifts ministries that God has equipped them to do. And it was our conviction that the old committee structure of this church in many ways hindered that ministry. That it really wasn't the structure that God set up in the New Testament. That rather elders and deacons and people using their spiritual gifts is what God gave us in the New Testament. And the nominating committee and committees uh, per se, while they may have been used by God to do some good works, could sometimes be part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Furthermore, I know that it's a tendency that we all have, that we struggle to give ourselves fully to the Lord, to be fully dedicated to him and to give ourselves to him every day, that we would use all of our resources for his glory, and that we would have nothing left back, that on Judgment Day we would not be ashamed uh, for how we lived our lives, that we didn't hold anything back. And we need constant encouragement, don't we? We need to be exhorted. We need to build up one another. We need to consider one another, to provoke one another toward love and good deeds. So we need all the help we can get. So I don't suggest that the scriptures that we're going to look at tonight will be new to you, that the concept of spiritual gifts and that you can use your gifts to build up the church is a new concept. Uh, I don't really suggest that I'm going to say anything new tonight. I just want to exhort or encourage you to think with an eternal perspective about your life, that you would look inward and see what God has put in you and that you would use your gifts to his glory. And so we're going to start at Romans 12. I really have no idea where we're going to end up. The sermon I wrote, nine pages, it's all really good and excellent. It's pitched, gone. Except page seven here, which has listed the 12, 13 areas of deacon ministry teams, which I don't have memorized. So I have those listed out and some other things that I'll use. But I'm very familiar with these verses, and I think you are too. And I think the Lord will lead us. So let's start at Romans 12. And what I want to do is I want to begin uh, by reading the scripture, Romans uh, 12, but I actually want to begin a little uh, further back with the grand, the glorious doxology at the end of chapter 11, with your permission, probably even without your permission. So we're going to just go ahead and begin with that uh, doxology, and we'll go on right into a discussion of spiritual gifts, beginning at verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So that doxology, grand and glorious as it is, at the end of chapter 11, really sums up a magnificent section of Scripture, 11 chapters, in which the gospel of Jesus Christ is unfolded so beautifully and so glorious, gloriously for us. In it, we see ourselves first in Romans 1 through 3. A mirror is held up and we see the ugliness and the wickedness of our sin. No one escapes. If you're a Christian, you have been worked on by the Holy Spirit of God, so you don't excuse yourself from the ugliness of Romans 1, of all of the description of 21 sins that follows when we no longer live for the glory of God, when we exchange the glory of God for something created, when we become idolaters. That is the great rival to God, all the good things he's created, that we would set our affections, our hearts on them and place ultimate value on them. Instead of on him, that's idolatry. We should have been, we should be living for the glory of God. Everything we do should be for the glory of God. But we are naturally, apart from Christ, idolaters. Putting our great value and worth and all of the things that uh, we cherish on something created. It could be any one of a number of things. There are lots of different gods and goddesses. There are lots of different idolatrous systems in the world. And I won't list them for you. You know what they are. It could be a foreign religion. It could be materialism. It could be yourself. It could be anything created, but anything that we place ultimate value on apart from God, we are denying or robbing him of his glory. We're not living for his glory. And so it says in Romans 3.23, just summing it all up, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's true of all of us. And Romans 1 through 3 does an incredibly clear job of telling the truth about us. Apart from Christ, we were sinners. But now in the middle of Romans 3, it says a righteousness from God apart from law has been revealed to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Do you understand what that means? What it means is that God sees you perfectly righteous in Christ. You know what it really means? It means all of your needs are met. Everything you need is in Christ. It's been given to you. You know, he doesn't stop there. He just keeps rolling and rolling through Romans 4, justification by faith alone apart from works. He gives us Abraham and his example. He shows us how completely forgiven we are and our assurance in Romans 5, justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith and grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We even rejoice in our sufferings. Friends, we are just so completely taken care of. So completely loved, so completely forgiven, so completely justified, we should be freed from ourselves to serve God. That's really what he's getting at. Now, he's realistic, Paul is, about this battle we have with indwelling sin. The reason we don't use our spiritual gifts, the reason we don't give ourselves fully to God and to one another is we battle the flesh. We battle the indwelling uh, flesh, the sin, all the time. 
that causes us to be selfish and to hold back. I don't know if any, any of us has ever done anything wholeheartedly for the Lord ever. I'm not being grim when I say that. I just think we hold back. We don't give everything we have every day to Jesus. We know that that's the standard and we're so glad that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Amen. In that you have brought today 30% of what you could have done. God accepts that gift. Isn't it incredible? And covers the rest with the blood of Jesus. Amen. But still for all of that, there is that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He calls on us to be perfect as Christ is perfect. And he beckons us upward. And so he tells us that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the power of the Spirit of God at work in us to put sin to death and to live for his glory. We have the promises of God's eternal working in us that someday we will be perfectly conformed to Jesus Christ. We'll be made just like him in every way. Romans 9 through 11 deals with the very significant problem of the Jews in the gospel and why it is so many of them are rejecting, but it all just culminates in in the picture of of the grand sovereignty of God. And the fact that his plans cannot be thwarted. That he who began a good work in you, as it says in Philippians, will carry it on to completion. You're going to be saved. You're going to heaven. Your present sufferings aren't even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in you. These are the mercies that Paul's referring to in Romans 12. The great glory of God, his sovereign power at work for you. To save you completely to the uttermost until you are gloriously in heaven. So what should you do with the rest of your life since you're so completely covered? (laughs) Since you're so fully, richly, lavishly provided for? What should you do with the rest of your life? Well, that's really what Paul covers in Romans 12 through 16. That's really what he's getting at in the last part of the book of Romans. And it begins with this transitional section here, which many just focus on verse 1 and 2, but I really think should be taken as a unit. You know, Romans 12, 1 through 8, that whole section really tells you what you should be doing with your life. And I just want to walk through it briefly and I just want to give you an exhortation. I don't know what your ministry should be. But I actually don't think that the elders should have to ask you what your ministry is. We should just know what it is because we see how you live. We should just uh, we should know you well enough and you should be so clearly ministering that just both ends. We're doing the shepherding. We know you. We know what's going on in your lives and you're just clearly living for Jesus. And using your gifts in a clear pattern. That's where we're heading. That's what our desire is. That's our initiative for 2009. I guess we'll be done with it in 2010. We'll move on to something else. I don't know. I seriously doubt that. But we want to focus on it. And we want to, we want to exhort and encourage you as the Apostle Paul does here. So look at it if you would. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, in view of all of what God has done, I urge you. That's what he's saying. I exhort you. I, I plead with you. He's he's saying that there's an obligation. He said it earlier in Romans. He says we have an obligation to live a certain way. So he says, I urge you to what? Well, the same thing he said back in Romans 6. Take this body of yours, these hands, these feet, this brain, this mouth, these eyes. Take this body and present it to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Give yourself fully to him. Today we're studying with uh, Chris McKeel in his Bible for Life class in, in, in Genesis chapter 8. When Noah came off the ark, and I've just been struck, and, we, and we did, he did a great job of just talking about the sacrifice and the pleasing aroma that Noah offered up to God and how he took some of those clean animals that were left after the flood, all of the rest extinguished, drowned, dead. And he had seven animals. Now, it could be that they perhaps had reproduced, but there couldn't have been that many more. And he took some of those clean animals and he offered them to God as a fragrant offering. A sacrifice to God. 
And I said, you know, I, I made a comment in the class. I said, you know, we shouldn't underestimate what a sacrifice that was for him. I really believe that love is measured by sacrifice, cheerful sacrifice, delighted sacrifice. You want to love your wife or your husband? Give sacrificially, cheerfully. You can't be just one or the other. It's got to be a sacrifice and it's got to be done cheerfully or it isn't a gift. And so it is. Basically, God is saying, give to me now and give to one another. Now that I've done all of this for you, make a sacrifice. And David said very beautifully, I will not offer to the Lord a sacrifice that costs me nothing. We have a tendency like Saul in the time of the slaughter of the Amalekites where he spared the best, you know, spared it, held it back. He lied about what his intentions were, I think. That's my sense, is that he didn't intend to offer it as a sacrifice to God. God had told him what to do. But he held it back. He spared it, you know. Think of how unlike God that is. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. He's calling on us in like manner to spare nothing. Specifically, don't spare yourself. Don't hold yourself back. Don't hold your time back. Don't hold your money back. Don't hold your spiritual gifts back. Give yourself fully as a living sacrifice. The word sacrifice points to the fact that it's costly. And the fact that it's living points points to the fact that it's going to be a continual thing. It's not something just offered once. And so you're offering your body, you're offering yourself to God continually, all the time, offering this living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to Him. He wants it holy. You know, I believe, you know, you may ask, what causes someone to hold back and not use their spiritual gifts? I think indwelling sin does. Not just that we're selfish, but we may be ashamed. We may be caught in patterns of sin. There may be certain things holding us back. We've got to put that to death so that we can offer our gifts to God. So that we can more freely and fully offer to God the things he's put in us. We tend to hold back and not give. And so he wants us to give. He wants us to give generously and cheerfully to God in view of his mercies. Gladly giving everything that we have. That's what he wants. I think earlier in Genesis 4 when, when Cain and Abel offered their sacrifice. And I think it's probably that God wanted animal sacrifice. And my sense is that Cain didn't want to go to his brother and get the animals. Out of pride. He just wanted to do his own thing. And he didn't want to humble himself and ask Abel for anything. And so he, he went. But you know, it's, it's very interesting how, how it's written in Genesis 4. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. You know what that's saying? He's looking at the heart. He's looking at what the person is doing in the heart. And so it is with this living sacrifice. He wants you to give from the heart to God. He doesn't just want your attendance at a committee meeting. He doesn't want you just presenting a form of ministry. He wants you. He wants you gladly and generously to give along this certain pattern. That's what he's saying. So give yourself holy and pleasing to God. This is your fragrant offering. This is your spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. This is what religion is for you now. Not earning your salvation. We learn from the gospel from Romans 1 through 11. We didn't need to do that. But rather that we could do something that would honor him. Do something to say thank you. Do something that would bring him delight and him pleasure. Do something also to fit into what he's doing in this world. And you know what he's doing? He's building his church. He's building the church of Jesus Christ. He's building this grand and glorious structure, this spiritual structure where he's going to dwell forever. That's the work he's doing. Everything else is going to get destroyed, friends. It's all going to, it's all going to get crashed. It's, burning on, it's building on, uh, on sand. And the, the rain's going to come and the wind's going to blow and it's all going to be destroyed. 
So I want to build on the foundation. I want to build the building he's building. And I want to build with quality materials. 1 Corinthians 3, gold, silver, costly stones. I want to build with the good stuff. And so that's what he's doing. These are the good works. So he says, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then verse 2, he says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What he means there is don't think like a worldling. When, when you think about your life, don't think about your life the way they do. They again are thinking about in a selfish kind of framework. How they can use their own money and their own time to bless and, and, and to please themselves. But we have learned from the gospel we really don't need to do that. We're freed from that. Freed from the self. We can deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. And so we're not to think like they do about our time and our money and our, and our talents and all that. We're supposed to think like Christians, like Jesus did. And give it to the Father. So we're supposed to be transformed. And the more you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, the more cheerfully and sacrificially and generously you'll give. And so if you're having a problem with every member ministry, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get back into the Word. Ask yourself, am I in the Word? Am I, am I saturating my mind with the Word of God? Am I listening to the sermons, the preaching? Am I, am I taking advantage of all the rich resources of teaching we have uh, in the American evangelical scene? Stuff on the Internet, stuff in bookstores. You can order things. I mean, we have everything we need, dear friends, when it comes to teaching. And so be transformed then by the renewing of your mind. And if you are, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I think this is an important verse, and I don't mind counseling people at key transition points in their lives, maybe singles who are looking for a spouse, how can I know if this is the right one, or somebody looking at the end of their college years to what kind of career or where, where they should go, or somebody looking at different avenues of mission work, should they do this or that? I think this is a fine verse for that, but I don't think that's more, most natural to the context. Most natural to the context is, if you are transformed, if you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and if you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you'll be able to figure out your place in the church, your place in God's world. You'll know what he has done in you and how you fit in, what your gifts are and how you're to use them. Because that's right what he goes to. From, that, from this verse 2, he goes right on into spiritual gifts. And so basically, if you want to know what your spiritual gift is, then present your body as a living sacrifice, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then he will teach you who you are and what he's made you to be. You'll be able to test and approve. You'll know what your spiritual gift is, and you'll be delighted in it. It won't be a burden to you. It'll be a pleasure. This is how you will give to God. It's not a drag for me to teach the word of God. I love it. I love it. And, and somebody with the gift of giving, it's not a drag for them to give generously. They love to do it. I have met givers in this church such as I'd never seen before, before I came here. I, I have met some incredible givers here in this, in this church. And they just love it. And the same thing also with those with the gift of service. They just get strengthened and they feel their place when they're able to serve in some way. It's a beautiful thing to watch. It's not a drag. It's not depressing. It's wonderful. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is for you. And isn't that wonderful that God has a will for you? He's actually thought about you. He's got a specific place for you. He has pondered you. He has apportioned, it says in Ephesians 4, a gift for you, measured it out, cut to, cut to fit you, and he's put it on you. This is your gift. It's a beautiful thing. And you will be able to prove it to God's will for you. 
And he goes right on, like I said in verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now what Paul's saying there is, first of all, I'd say the word for in verse 3 means I'm talking about the same thing. I'm going right on. I'm going to continue on this discussion. So he goes right on to spiritual gifts. That's why I'm proving that this test and prove God's will has to do with spiritual gifts. He said, for by the grace given me, what he's saying is by the spiritual gift I got. I got a spiritual gift. I got a ministry to build up the body of Christ. I, Saul of Tarsus, the one who is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. In, in one sense, if we can use this language, I should have been struck dead that day. In one sense, we're not second-guessing what Jesus did do, but I deserve to be killed. Instead, I got a, a ministry. <laughs> what grace is that? I actually got a ministry. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city of Damascus and you'll be told what you must do. What I must do, what must I do? Your ministry. I've got a ministry for you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to give you a ministry. So it is for each one of us. He's not going to kill you. He's forgiven you. He's given you life. He's given you time now here on earth. And he's given you a ministry. I've got something for you to do. For by the grace given to me, Paul says, the the, the ministry I've been given, by that ministry of being apostle and teacher of the gospel, by that I am now telling you something about your gift, ministry, whatever it is. But let's start with this concept. Think about yourself. And it's kind of weird, but that's about what he says. Do not, he says, it starts negatively. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That makes sense. Don't get a big head about your ministry. You're not indispensable. God does have a plan for you. He does have a purpose for you and he will use you. But don't think of yourself too highly. More highly than you ought. But there's a, a flip side too. And it's implied though he doesn't say it. Don't think of yourself too meanly or lowly either. Oh, God can never use me. There's nothing I could do. I don't really fit in here. You know, they don't need me. Don't do that either. Think of yourself soberly. Think of yourself with judgment day perspective. I have a gift. The scripture tells me I have a spiritual gift ministry. I do. It's been assigned to me. If I like the one who received the one talent take it and hide it in the ground, I'm going to be judged for it. I can't hide. I need to do my ministry. I want to think with sober judgment. I want to be serious about myself and serious about my time. I have, the scripture says, been given a spiritual gift. I need to use it. And so I need to get out there and get active with this thing. But I'm not indispensable. And God has built in redundancy. I'm not the only teacher here. I'm not the only one able to preach. You guys have seen that. There are a lot of gifted people here, just like in the church in Antioch in Acts 13. And so also the givers, they're not the only ones. There's redundancy here. So don't think of yourself too highly. Don't say, yes, but I'm the, I'm the best. Okay, don't do that. You already know you're, you're lurching into arrogance and pride. Don't, don't do that. Think humbly about yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith that God has given you. So what he's saying here is he's saying you need to think about yourself. Now, what does he mean when he says think about yourself? I think what he's doing here is that you need to see yourself as a part of the body of Christ. And so you ought to pray. Just go and say, James 1, ask for wisdom. God, I don't know how to to fit in. I don't know what I'm supposed to do at First Baptist Church. Will you please show me? But do think about yourself. I think Hebrews 12, or sorry, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says you ought to also be thinking about others. 
in the exact same way. So you think about yourself with sober judgment. How do I fit in the body of Christ? You also ought to be spurring one another on. Considering each other, it says. Consider them. So we ought to be thinking about each other. Just take three or four or five people and start praying for them and say, Lord, show me what their gifts are and how they fit in. And then you go exhort them and encourage them. That will bind us together so beautifully. But here it just says you ought to think about yourself. Think about yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith. And then he gives us this body analogy, verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. So that's what he's saying. He uses this body analogy. And so he he does more of a development on this theme over in in 1 Corinthians 12. You know, the hand, the eye, the mouth, the foot, that kind of thing. And all of it part of the body and no one part, uh, you know, should boast over the other or no one part should feel inadequate or inferior toward another. We all have a function. We all have a, a part to play. And so we have different, different ministries here. This body needs you to use your ministry. We can't be everything God wants us to be if you don't. We must have it. And furthermore, you must give it. And if you don't think so, then meditate on what Judgment Day will be like when Jesus asks you about it and asks you what you did with it. You must give it. We need it. We all need one another to do it. And so think soberly. Think according by, to faith how you fit in. Think with a Judgment Day mentality. And then see yourself as a part of the body. And then use your gifts, whatever you, however you're gifted. And then he gives you just a very brief sampling of what are some of the gifts. And, and frankly, if you put them all together as some do, you can go to websites and there was one that was alphabetical. There was like 25 different gifts uh, and all that. I don't, I don't really know. I tend to think in terms of gift packages, like you get a kind of three or four or five different capabilities, some a little stronger than others, and that is who you are and that's how you're to minister. You know, I don't just have the gift of teaching. I have a number of different things that I hope to give to the body of Christ and help it grow. So also I think it is with each one. It's not just one thing. But I think what we're called on here is that we have a ministry focus, a pattern of ministry, and you just start to do it. And that's what Paul's saying here toward the end of this passage. He says, if it is, if it is a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. I actually think a better translation is the faith. So if your, if your gift is proclaiming the word of God, thus says the Lord. The Puritans tend to think of this as preaching, you know, after the apostolic era. That's fine. We can debate that another time. But if your job is to proclaim the word to the body of Christ, be sure it lines up with the existing revelation. I think that's what it is. Be sure it's connected to right doctrine. Okay? But look what he says. He says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it. All right, let me just read through these last few verses with a focus there. Okay, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it. Do you not see what Paul's saying here? It's so plain. Whatever it is, do it. Do it. Now, you may say, I don't know what my gift is. I really would urge you just to do some ministries. I know we get in the new member class, we give you that questionnaire and you fill it all out. Now, that's fine. But frankly, all that's doing is kind of codifying and drawing out past experiences. You know, when you do this, when you do that, how is it for you when you... Yeah, that's what it is. I think it's, it's just as helpful to just get involved in the body life here. 
Just start doing some things. Get involved in some things. And, and just say, I, I'd like to follow the things I'm interested in. Just dive in. If you're interested in urban ministry, there's Jobs for Life's coming, in, coming up. And there's a lot of different things you can do with Jobs for Life. You don't just have to teach. You could do, you could do your gift of hospitality so that when the students come in, it's, it's a whole different room because you were there. In terms of the snacks or the drinks or whatever, you can do that. And you are doing urban outreach at that point. Whatever it is, use it. That's the whole thing. Now, there are other passages and another message for another time would be as you use it, you tend to develop it. You get better at it. Paul talks to Timothy about developing his gift, fanning his gift into flame, that kind of thing. That's a different theme. But the more you use it, the better at it you get. But just use it. Just use it. Now, what does that mean for us here and now? Well, I think there are just certain avenues of ministry that we would exhort you to consider. Okay? Part of, part of the idea of spiritual gifts is that you use it in submission to the leadership of the church. You know, in other words, if the, if the elders feel that we need to reach out in this certain way, then the people with the gifts of administration and service and evangelism and all that go in that direction using their gifts. That's how it works. It's a beautiful thing. That way we're not all pulling in different directions. But instead you say, okay, what, what kinds of things are the elders doing? And the elders have... Uh, you know, entrusted to the deacons all kinds of practical physical ministries. Bob Hatcher is here tonight, chairman of the deacons, and he is trying to fill these 13 uh, ministry teams. And you've seen the list, but I'll go ahead and and read it for you again. There are different uh, ministry teams. There's missions. So that would be just being involved in our cross-cultural missions work, supporting our missionaries on the field, short-term missions. There's all kinds of things, cross-cultural missionaries. There's uh, urban ministry, international student ministry, these are ministry teams. There's the host ministry. These are the people that greet people that come in through the doors and make them feel at home and, and show them what rooms to get. That, that has just taken off, and it's been beautiful to see. used to be, you know, you come in here, and if you came in that door, woe to you. I mean, you're like standing there, and there's no one there. Is there church today? I thought there was church today, that kind of thing. That no longer happens. You're greeted whatever door you walk in here, and people are literally walking you to a room to begin your Bible for Life experience, it's a beautiful thing. And it's developed host ministry. Maybe you want to be part of that. Family and youth uh, ministry. Definitely uh, some work to be done. C- uh, college ministry. Uh, that's going to be really taking off in a, in the, within the next week or two. Corporate worship. That may be the focus. And we heard some of the gifts tonight. Beautiful. And that may be exactly what you're already doing. But believe me, I'm not suggesting necessarily that some of you are starting from scratch here. Some of you have been using your gifts and your ministries for years. Keep doing it. All right, but there may be others that say, you know, I, I'd like to get involved in some of these things. There's counseling. Uh, Steve Carell's here tonight, and you want to talk about the counseling ministry, talk to him. But uh, we think that that could be a tremendous ministry both within the walls of this church and as an outreach. Again, you don't have to be a gifted biblical counselor to get involved. Again, you could use your gift of hospitality or gifts of administration or service to bless that ministry. Again, it's just a beautiful thing the way the body of Christ works together. There's women's ministry. And the ministry of encouragement, uh, there's a lot of different details about these things. I don't have time to go into them. But you know, these are just, it's just an array of opportunities. You have senior adult ministry and facilities. You may just be interested in working with Richard Lee and others and keeping the building looking good. That could be something that you're gifted at. And then church planning, um, the desire we have to just be multiplying churches around here, good churches. That's 13 ministry teams you could get involved in. That's one whole approach. I want to give you another. And the other is home fellowships. Okay, we are doing home fellowships Sunday evenings. Many of you are involved in that. Again, a perfect vehicle for multiplicity of gifts to be on display. Clearly the gift of hospitality with the host families. Clearly the gift of teaching with those that are teaching. The gift of prayer with those that could organize the prayer ministry of those, of those um, 
home fellowships. And on it goes. So these are two major focuses, I think, of your spiritual gift ministry. So find out. Just follow the pattern here. Romans 12, 1 through 8. Present your body daily to God. Holy, pleasing to Him. Ask Him to show Him, show you uh, His will for your life. That you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is for you. And then uh, understand the different opportunities and get busy. Start to serve. And I would urge you to consider these ministry teams. I'd urge you to consider home fellowships. If you have a question about this, you may say, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm involved in this parachurch ministry, a prison ministry. How does that fit in? Listen, that's that's great. Those are those are great opportunities. What I said at the at the members meeting the other day is use use the church's resources for that. Don't be a lone ranger, but make it a church ministry. Work with the elders, but make it a church ministry so that people with gifts can make that even better than it ever was before. Now you may be saying, how could it be better than it already is? You may be saying that, but there's a verse in here for you, I think, something about not thinking of yourself more highly than you are. Of course it could be enhanced by being an FBC ministry with others chipping in and being involved. So I would urge you, I would exhort you, by the mercies of God, to consider your life and your, mem- your, your ministry as a member of this body. Close with me, if you would, in prayer. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.